1: Welcome, listeners, to the 124th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matt Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets in financial planning. This week, I have Aaron Kramer as my guest. He's a wealth advisor with our firm, Jessup Wealth Management. Aaron has been on with me before. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks. I'm
2: excited to be back again.
1: It's always a fun time. I'm excited to have you. Thank you. It's going to be a good podcast this week. So, um, um, as always, before we begin, listeners, I'm going to kick us off uh, the first few minutes and recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indices that we track. These numbers are as of the market close of November 17th, and this data is from StockCharts.com. The S&P 500 index for the month is up 1.81, for the year, 24.83%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 31 basis points for the month. And that's 0.31. And for the year, up 17.40. The NASDAQ composite for the month, 2.73%. For the year, 23.54. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 Small Cap Index for the month, up a big 3.42, Aaron. Wow. For the year, 2107 The Vanguard International ETF, X united States, uh, for the month is up 0.86%, so 86 basis points. And for the year, trailing the others, Aaron, up 10.05, okay? Three-month T-bill currently sits at five basis points, that's 0.05. The uh, two-year currently sits at 50 basis points, that's 0.5. And the 10-year, uh, is sits at 1.61. Okay. So what's interesting here that I want to throw out first, Aaron, is the 10-year, you haven't seen a lot of movement over the past week. And there's just a lot of scuttle about inflation.
2: Mm-hmm. Any comments you want to throw out there? Not really. Uh, people, I think, get really focused on the 10-year. What are your kind of thoughts on it? It just seems to be the barometer right now yeah. for
1: people's sentiment, true and sentiment on inflation. Yeah. That's the reason I kind of point that out. It just kind of feels that way in the market that, you know, obviously it tends to be the financial news media's excuse as to why stocks sell off when that 10-year tends to move higher. Exactly. Right? Especially kind of impacts the tech sector as well. It does. It does. So, um, next, uh, Aaron, let's transition to uh, big news headlines and current events from the past week. Um, President Biden is signing a $1 trillion infrastructure bill into law earlier uh, this week. Um, in addition, the 2022 tax brackets are out. Now, um, Mark dug up this, um, this tweet uh, from Jeff Levine that shows the tax brackets for next year. And you can find this on our show notes. And I'll remind listeners, Aaron, on Facebook and LinkedIn, it's at Jessup Wealth Management. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Jessup Wealth. And you if you're curious, uh, listeners, you can see these tax brackets for next year.
2: Any comments? Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's really just kind of or following inflation trends really is is what we're seeing here that um, it's really for the higher earners. It's kind of impacting the most, in my opinion. True. Um, So for people that's earnings are kind of staying the same from from last year to or this year to 2022, seems like it'll have the biggest impact on them. Kind of help them out with taxes is what is what I see. Absolutely. I don't yeah.
1: see this being, quote unquote, a negative.
2: No, not at all. I, don't I see think it's going to help help sort of those higher earners out a little bit. Absolutely.
1: Um, next is a uh, fun fact. Turkey prices <laughs> this Thanksgiving have slightly surpassed their 2015 high recently up to about twenty one dollars for a 15 pound bird. This is according to B of A Global on November 12th. Um, listeners, we do have a chart of uh, turkey prices going back to 2000, uh, the average price of a 15 pound bird. And it's interesting when you look at this chart,
2: I was going to comment on it. Go ahead. Um, It is interesting, but it kind of has a nice if you kind of draw a line from 2001 to 2022, it's kind of a nice linear path where inflation has been a big topic this year. Um, and obviously increase in turkey prices is going to sort of reflect inflation and grocery and products and things like that it kind of seems like it's right on track or even a little bit under what it would be expected great point aaron so what you're kind of pointing out here is that if
1: you really take the averages going Mm -hmm. back two decades it's really not out of line not at all it's just kind of making up for a little bit of a deflationary period in In 17 18 18 ish right 19 yep yeah no, so again, I don't. I, I think there's a lot being made about it because mm-hmm. of the, the the swift movement, right? But I have a piece on this and a little bit from Goldman Sachs. I'll cover. Perfect. Okay, I won't steal your thunder. No, you're welcome <laughs> to. I don't mind. Um, next is um, shipping container rates. We've talked about this in the podcast previously, Aaron, to listeners, because obviously this has a, um, a pass through to the consumer. Exactly. Right so um this chart uh was posted to twitter by david scott he's a news anchor with OSBiz tv it's like their version of like bloomberg or cnbc and we're finally over the past two weeks starting to see uh, shipping container rates mainly from china uh, to either the us or europe they're mm-hmm. starting to go down Start again to, yeah that's and great. we do have a chart we posted this to our show notes for the listeners again i'm not saying that this is this trend's going to continue but this is really the first breather we've had exactly it's in been 6 very, months
2: very parabolic
1: yeah it's the first breather we've had in like in 6 months so um, for our regular listeners louie right now uh, our <laughs> office dog uh, he got his bark box this week and uh, it was of course thanksgiving themed and he's uh, he's chewing away at his turkey <laughs> he is going to town on this turkey right now listeners. so if you hear that in the background it is our office dog louie loving life <laughs> All right. Let's transition to tweets, articles, and research for the week. AC, you want to yeah, start us off? I'm
2: going to kick it off here. So, um, the first piece I have here is um, it's titled "Is Hyperinflation Coming?" and it's written by Colin Roche um, on October 25th. So, I'm just going to kind of read through this okay. here, okay. then I want to get your kind of feedback after. I have not seen it, so all right, I'll it's going to fr- be fresh. It's going to be fresh. Um, so, Colin writes, "Twitter lo- lit up over the weekend when Jack Dorsey um, laid out jack dorsey is the um ceo of two large companies square and twitter correct um dorsey is very vocal above about bitcoin of course and yes. um he really said uh, the pretty interesting prediction for a ceo for for a large company um and that's for several reasons he believes um kind of this is kind of cullen saying this um, if he really believes what he said, then he should, as a fiduciary to his shareholders, be advocating for far less U.S. dollar exposure within his companies. Um, Square and Twitter currently have over $10 billion in U.S. dollar reserves, which would evaporate in the case of hyperinflation. So if he truly believes what he said, um, like he should either be advocating for converting large amounts of U.S. dollar reserves into some sort of inflation-protected asset mm-hmm. um, or some other... Um, They should be uh, some other asset, like Bitcoin, essentially. Um, Heck, even equities. Exactly. So Square does have some Bitcoin hedging, and both firms are very exposed to uh, U.S. dollar incineration per Dorsey's prediction, is what uh, Cohen's saying. Interesting. Um, Second point is, if I worked for a company where the CEO was calling for hyperinflation, I would walk into his, his or her office the next day and ask for an enormous wage increase um how am i going to keep up with cost of goods then exactly hyperinflation would cause twitter and square employees to lose enormous amounts of purchasing power if i were them and i knew the ceo expected 50 plus percent inflation per year then i would expect a big raise to help offset the coming crisis um so i just kind of wanted to walk through what technically hyperinflation is sure Um, hyperinflation is generally agreed to be a continuous 50 plus increase in the rate of inflation so it's essentially a complete destruction of the national currency. Um, it isn't a small problem. It's the absolute worst kind of financial crisis an economy can have. If you think uh, the 2008 financial crisis was bad, it's uh, it's essentially a cakewalk compared. Yeah, mm-hmm. to to hyperinflation. So, it's uh, it's. What are your kind of thoughts on that? All right. So the first thing I'll throw out there is there are
1: companies out there, and I don't want to name names, but there are some that have converted their reserves to crypto and equities. And so that is a valid option. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing I want to throw out there is since he's made this prediction, I know it's only been a couple of weeks, but the U.S. dollar has strengthened (laughs) nicely versus like, say, the euro. And what that tells me is America is still the safe haven. Right. You know, if um, in our investment committee meeting on, on Monday, mm-hmm. Mark showed us a chart of um, the U.S. markets in comparison to international. And it's not just us showing those numbers and reading those numbers at the beginning and seeing that difference. But this international stock difference is, is stark. Yeah, and it's massive. It's massive. And so what I'm getting at is I don't see the threat of the American dollar being the reserve currency going away anytime soon. And I think it's okay to, um, for him to have a personal opinion, mm-hmm. but to be as vocal about it with his
2: role. I, I, I disagree with that. Yeah. Especially as a CEO, you're, and, you're exactly right. And I'll sort of jump in ahead. for a second. Um, I think people use the term hyperinflation a little too loosely. I would agree. Um, there's a, I think as a CEO, there's better ways to word it. Some inflation, higher inflation. Short term higher inflation yeah. or higher inflation for an extended period of time, but not hyper. Mm-hmm. And if he really does think it's going to be hyperinflation, I think that's a call to action for him. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in essence, you, you, you can't sit there and, and
1: preach it and not do it. Exactly. I don't, I absolutely agree with that statement. All
2: right anything else any other thoughts on it
1: no i just i'm not in the camp of hyperinflation me neither now i will sit there and say that anything is possible right it is a possibility that the fed loses control over this but my two cents is if that were to occur we have such bigger problems as you were insinuating a couple Mm -hmm. of seconds ago i'm just i'm not in that camp now am i naive sitting here that their monetary policy of the past since the great financial crisis, he's not going to have repercussions at some point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it will. I'm not in the camp that we're going to fall into hyperinflation
2: the next couple of years. That's how I want to frame it. Perfect. Okay? Yeah, I agree. All right. I've got another one for you. Are you ready? Fire, baby. I'm ready. All right. This one comes from uh, Ben Carlson, and it's how the stock market works. So Ben is a great blog writer. He's one of my favorites. So he this always is has a, good stuff. He always has great stuff. So I'll read through this one again. Okay. Um, so let me start here so uh, this is from ben it says my wife like most normal people did not know much about the stock market except for what she heard on the news or saw on tv and in the movies she did not give much thought to investing in stocks so when i told her we would be saving the bulk of our retirement money in stocks especially when we were younger she initially she was initially concerned she says aren't stocks extremely risky isn't this just gambling with our money isn't there a chance we could lose most of our money Shouldn't we just play it safe? The stock market is the only place where anyone can invest in human ingenuity. It's a bet on the future being better than today. Stocks can be thought of as a way to ride the coattails of intelligent people and businesses as they continue to innovate and grow. Short of owning your own business, buying shares in the stock market is the simplest way to own a slice of the business world. Keep that's, going. That's You're doing good. This is great. Yeah. The greatest part of owning shares in the stock market is you can earn money by doing nothing more than holding on to them. When companies pay out dividends to shareholders, you get cold, hard cash sent to your brokerage or retirement account, which you can choose to either reinvest or spend as you please. The stock market is one of the few places on earth where you can earn passive income without having to do any work whatsoever. That's right. It's exactly right. It's perfect. All you have to do is buy and wait. And if global stock markets don't go up over the long term, you'll have bigger problems on your hand than your 401k balance. Kind of what I said earlier. Exactly. Exactly. So um, many people compare the stock market to a casino, but in a casino, the odds are stacked against you. The longer you play in a casino, the, the greater odds you'll walk away a loser because the house wins based on pure probability. It's just the opposite in the stock market. So the longer your time horizon historically, the better your odds are at seeing positive outcomes. Now, these positive outcomes don't guarantee a specific rate of return, even over longer time frames. If the stock market were consistent in the returns it spits out, there would be no risk. And uh, as you know, if there were no risk, there would be no wonder for long-term returns. That's right. You'd squeeze out all the inefficiencies. Yep. yep. And because there is risk involved when owning stocks, you can vary widely depending on when you invest in the stock market. It has been possible to lose money over decade-long periods in the past, even 20 to 30 years year results can see a big spread between the best and worst outcomes. However, it is worth noting that even the worst annual returns over 30 years in U.S. history of the U.S. stock market would still have produced total return of more than 850 Uh, percent. Worst. That's the worst over a 30-year period. That's the beauty of compounding. The worst 30-year return for the S&P 500 gave you more than eight times your initial investment. So, um, ignoring the effects of fees, taxes, trading costs. But uh, the point remains that over the long haul, the stock market is unrivaled when it comes to growing money. And the longer you're in it, the better your chances of compounding. So when you mentioned that 30 year, you know,
1: the first thing that came to mind Mm -hmm. inflation hedge, right? Yep, exactly. And so there's been so much talk about inflation that ultimately stocks are actually a pretty good inflation hedge long term, as you're suggesting with such time horizons. Absolutely.
2: Any other thoughts? I thought that was a perfect That's a good
1: example because, you know, you see the stuff in the movies, mm-hmm. right? I mean, obviously that stuff is not realistic. Most of not it related to the stock market. Right. And, you know, it's time in the market that makes the difference, Aaron. You know, exactly. it really
2: does. Yeah. It's not timing the market. It's not time it's time in, in the, the
1: market. Arc. It's time in the market. Exactly. And so um, who knows? Jenna's probably going to steal that as the is the title of today's podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was a uh, for sort of a, a simplified version is a great way to explain how the stock market works and um, kind of understand the, the risks and, and the rewards over the long run.
1: You can't have your cake and eat it, too. No.
2: And, you know, we are
1: going to go through a period of time um, where we're going to go through a correction. Right. Mm-hmm. And the market's going to sell off eight, nine, 10 percent. Who knows what the reason is going to be for the correction right now? There could be a litmus of reasons, but ultimately that is the side effect. That is what you have to pay to get those longer term rates of return. Exactly. You have to endure those sell-offs, endure that volatility. And just like you insinuated, if the market went up just a little bit every day, you wouldn't get the returns you're getting. Nope. You wouldn't. Nope. So well, well done. I like that you picked yeah. that piece this
2: week. Yeah. Ben has great, great stuff.
1: All right, I got a couple for listeners this week. I believe I have three items I selected, Aaron. Perfect. The first is going to be an earnings update from FactSet. Now, this is from November 13th. FactSet is a big um, data firm mm-hmm. uh, in our industry. So, listeners, I have this um, the copy of this chart on our show notes again, and again, you can access that through Facebook or LinkedIn at Jessup Wealth Management, and through Twitter and Instagram at Jessup Wealth. And this, uh, I'll start uh, verbally saying exactly what the uh, the tweet says. Eighty one percent of S and P five hundred companies have beaten EPS estimates to date for the third quarter of this year. That is tied Aaron for the fourth highest percentage since FactSet began tracking the metric in two thousand and eight. I wanted to highlight this for two yeah. reasons. First reason is people are asking the questions. Well, why is the market still hitting a fifty two week high? Well, it's first reason with is earnings. Yeah. Earnings are, are, are gangbusters and analysts were way too conservative and mm-hmm. they've beaten estimates that handily. Right. It's no surprise we haven't had we had we've had such a good fourth quarter so far. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to point out there is it breaks it down by sector of the market and it shows if you're curious listeners, it'll show you the beats for information technology, healthcare real estate, financials, industrials, and so forth, okay? So one of the best-performing sectors here in the fourth quarter? Technology, which has been an underperformer for a good portion of the year. You ready for this? 92% of information technology companies that have reported as of November 13th have beat estimates.
2: And 6% were in line, so they met estimates. Only two missed. Have you seen such numbers like that? No, it's amazing, really. That's amazing,
1: so I just wanted to kind of point that out. Just when people sit there and say, you know, why is the market hitting a fifty-two week high? You know, guess what, listeners? The underlying fundamentals are not bad.
2: And guess what, Jenna? That's not bearish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'll add a little bit. I think it kind of kind of reaffirms some of the higher valuations that you see in technology companies because they have the, the growth rates. Exactly. You know, you're not getting you're not getting double digit growth rates out of a
1: stodgy consumer staple stock. Not at all. Right. You're not getting. <laughs> Mostly double-digit rates out of a stodgy utility stock. And I'm not dogging those those stocks. They have places in portfolios. But if you want to know why they have such higher valuations, mm-hmm. it's because they've been hitting their growth, their their EPS growth estimates. And beating them. And beating consistently. them. Consistently. Yeah, earnings per share. Mm-hmm. All right, got another one here. This one is from uh, Lisa. She is a reporter at Bloomberg. Um, she had a tweet that I posted to our show notes on November 12th. Uh, she is an, a news anchor there. It's a chart of U.S. consumer sentiment. Uh, It's the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. Mm -hmm. Tweet again from November 12th. We are at the lowest level of consumer sentiment since 2011. That's the first thing I want to throw out there. Second thing is, and this is the reason why, Mm -hmm. consumers' one-year inflation expectations have climbed to 4.9%. That's the highest, Aaron, since 2008. So why am I highlighting this? Underlying fundamentals of the American consumer is literally the strongest it's been in decades. I'm talking about wage gains. I'm talking about debt levels. I'm talking about cash at the bank, savings levels. All these things point to the ability for the American consumer Mm -hmm. to be extremely strong. So what's the issue? supply in high prices right now. And I actually am proud of the American consumer. They're showing constraint, which is rare, which is rare. <laughs> I mean, I remember in the 90s and 2000s, everyone was digging into home equity lines of mm-hmm. credit to fund their lifestyles with real estate prices going up. You're not seeing that now. No, people are more conservative right now. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. So again, you know, this is I take the opposite side of this chart with consumer sentiment being so
2: low, it tells me the consumer's being responsible. And what's interesting, if you kind of mirror the consumer sentiment chart and the inflation expectations, it's, if you kind of flip those over, it's It's almost identical. It's it's a perfect inverse relationship. It sure is. It sure is. So yeah, I just, I thought it was interesting. It
1: really is. Now, I'm going to bring this all to circle about inflation with my last piece, okay? This is an opinion piece. I want to be very specific, an opinion piece about inflation from Goldman Sachs. This is a tweet from a CNBC reporter, Carl Cantania, on November 14th, and he's highlighting this research piece, okay? So um, I'm going to read it first, and then I'm going to give you my opinion. Perfect. Okay? So again, this is also in our show notes. Quote, inflation overshoot is entirely attributable to a surge in durable goods prices as supply chains problems resolve this should eventually cause the supply constrained categories to shift from a transitory inflation boost to a transitory deflation drag okay now here's my comment I want to throw out there that I prepared this opinion piece feels that we won't hit peak inflation. When you look at the data that they're forecasting just yet. And when it does excess supply could, I had the word could bring mm-hmm. prices down. I highlight this Aaron, because during periods like this right now, it feels that inflation in this case is going to continue at this growth rate without stopping. And in my opinion, That's most likely not the case.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's I think it's unlikely that this level of inflation continues year over year. So let me give, I think, the best relatable example to listeners as
1: to what I think is going to happen in a specific industry. Mm -hmm. My opinion, I'm going to take cars. Okay, so what's happened since covid hit is we've had a surge in the values of used cars. Right. Right. Supply and demand comes into play mm-hmm. when there's more demand than supply. What happens? Prices, prices go, up. go up So as auto manufacturers work the kinks out of their supply chain mainly semiconductor yep. chips, which we've talked about before mm-hmm. in the podcast as You start to see them that supply hitting the dealers What do you think? Statistically is gonna happen to use car prices prices are gonna fall prices are gonna go down. Okay, so the thing I, I want to use this example is, are we there yet, probably in the worst of the peak? I don't think so yet. If I had to give my honest, transparent opinion, I think the peak of the worst in a lot of these areas is sometime the first half of next year. Yeah. And if you had to nail me down, literally, <laughs> I'm thinking March or April, I think will end up being kind of the peak of the worst of supply chain and inflation. Mm -hmm. And I think that as you start to see excess goods hit the market, and you start to have supply go up, it should, and I agree to a certain extent with Goldman's piece here, it should start to bring those prices back into line. And inflation is going to kind of fall, essentially. Yeah, in essence, the the acceleration we've seen in prices, you might not go back to pre-COVID prices. But I think the continued upward movement is just going to peak around that Mm -hmm. time. Now, the reason I also want to highlight this, and this is what listeners really got to give some thought to, you know, if you're looking at a company that produces a good that is really sensitive to inflation Mm -hmm. and their earnings right now are artificially high compared to pre-COVID, you need to give some thought to do you think they're going to have that pricing ability Next after year. If, mm-hmm. if what I'm saying or what Goldman is saying is actually true, and they lose some pricing ability in the second half of the year. Let's just assume that for a moment. Mm-hmm. How do you think that's earn- going to affect their They're earnings? going to miss
2: earnings expectations. It's a potential. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So I don't want to sit here and scare listeners, but it's definitely something that needs to be in their psyche and thought process.
2: Definitely. You yeah.
1: can't just look at a company right now that earnings are up drastically now compared to pre-COVID mm-hmm. because they're selling an inflationary sensitive product and just make the assumption that it's well, going to continue, continue at that rate. Right. Just right. my word of caution, just yeah. to sharpen your pencil so, just a little bit more. It's a this. great point. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Um, that is my, my rant for the day, Jenna. Um, <laughs> Love and, it. and so I'm going to kick it back to you, AC, yeah. um, uh, Mr. Aaron Kramer for the financial planning topic of
2: the week. Got a good one here. All right. All right. So this is about, um, it's, uh, from a blog post of the oblivious investor titled Medicare Irma appeal. So, um, Irma is is i-r-m-a-a and Mm -hmm. it stands for income related monthly adjustment amount Um, and it's an appeal it's a request for reconsideration um sort of on your medicare premium pricing essentially so yeah if you're a medicare listeners you want to turn the volume up absolutely um in general once you become eligible for medicare either by reaching age 65 or being uh, on social security disability for two years Um, Your Medicare premiums for a given year are based on your modified adjusted gross income from the two years prior. So for Medicare IRMA purposes, uh, modified adjusted gross income is calculated as your adjusted gross income plus tax-exempt interest plus any foreign earned income or income from U.S. territories that was excluded from your gross income. Okay. Okay. So for example, a person's 2022 premiums are based on their 2020 income level. So it's always kind of a year behind. Got it. Um, A person's 2022 Medicare premiums must be determined in 2021, at which point Medicare doesn't have your 2021 income yet. So that's why they use the year before. Um, However, the law also provides that if your income declines significantly from one year to the next due to a life-changing event, you may request that your premiums be based on that... Uh, More recent years' level of income uh, rather than the income from the two years ago. Um, This is a request made, uh, may be referred to as a request for reconsideration, Medicare Part B premium appeal, or Medicaid IRMA appeal. So, if you kind of hear any of those terms, that's what this is talking about. Um, I'll run through the the life changing events here. Um, So, they are marriage, divorce or annulment, death of a spouse you or your spouse stopped working or reduced the hours that you work. So even if you're part-time retired, absolutely, uh, you or your spouse experienced a loss of income producing property that was not at your direction. Um, so for example, you did not directly sell a rental property, for example. Yeah. Um, you or your spouse experienced a cessation, termination or reorganization of an employer's pension plan. Um, so why is this important for people? Um, let's kind of walk through a quick example here. So um, there's this couple, Amanda and Neil collectively earn 250000 per year. Um, they both retire in June of 2022 at age 64 and having earned roughly 120000 for the year. When they begin Medicare at age 65 in 2023, their premiums are going to be based on that 2021 level yep. um, of $250,000, um, which puts them in the third Medicare tier. Um, and the Medicare tiers, will have in the show notes as well. Great. Um, so they can file a Medi- uh, an Irma appeal and have their um, their Medicare rates based off of those one hundred twenty thousand per year uh, income. That's a level. big difference so, in premiums. Yeah. So the uh, net result is that they save one hundred eighty dollars per month per per month. person per in Medicare person. Part. B and Part D premiums. That's so substantial. It is a huge, huge jump. So, um, for example, let me see if we have um, the, if you file a joint tax return um, and your income is $176,000 or less, um, you pay each month per person $148 in premiums. Okay. If your joint income is between $222,000 and $276,000, so the example we just looked at, you would pay uh, $297 each month, so it's a huge, huge, huge jump. jump. So it's uh, it's it's important for people to be able to keep their income lower, absolutely, um, in retirement to to kind of save on those Medicare premiums for sure. And if you have had a significant drop in income, which I, in my opinion, I see a lot of retired people do, yeah, um, once they sort of stop earning uh, sort of their normal wages and they transition to retired life. Might not be spending as much. Yep, they might be using money from a savings account or other uh, a Roth IRA where they can keep their income low, well, um, and you can really kind of save a good chunk of change with Medicare. That's a big deal. Yeah, so that's I'm a, glad you highlighted that yeah, this week. Absolutely, it's a good one. So, do you you have the chart on this on the show notes? Yep, we can add it into the show notes for sure. It's okay. a it's a good breakdown here. That's
1: awesome. So, again, you know, we highlight many pieces on the financial planning topic of the week, different mm-hmm. demographics, and obviously, this is a hot button topic right Definitely. now. Definitely, I'm glad you you talked about this. Absolutely. I know um, earlier in the week, uh, Mark and I did a uh, we do an episode on our social media, the uh, weekly questions with Matt and Mark, mm-hmm. and uh, it's about a two three minute skit uh, where we talk about two kind of pressing questions that are in the media. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did talk about how they are substantially raising um, Part B uh, premiums next year for everybody. It's a double-digit increase. Wow. That's huge. So it'll be even more
2: important to kind of— To really watch this. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right. Um, Aaron, before we—before I do the sign-off, is there anything else you'd like to discuss? No.
2: I think it was uh, it was good. It was fun. Happy I to be appreciate back on it.
1: all your uh, preparation uh, to be prepared for the podcast today. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. So uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us for episode 124 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Uh, Aaron and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we will see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Com. There you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at JessupWealthManagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public.